Please open your Bibles this morning uh, to the book of John. Continue our study of the Gospel of John. If you'll turn to chapter 4. And the kids are dismissed, by the way, <laughs> in case that wasn't obvious. Uh, kids are dismissed for children's ministry. We're going to be studying verses, um, specifically verses 43 through 54, but I, I said to rewind just a couple of verses back because I think there's an interpretive key to understanding the rest of the text that's important for us to get. And I'll point that out to you even as we read the text this morning. So last week, remember, we studied Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. We learned that Jesus seeks and saves the wayward. And uh, can't, I, can't you just raise your hand and say, I'm so thankful that he does because none of us, all of us were wayward. I don't know what the opposite of wayward is. All of us were wayward. And he transforms them into his worshipers to send them out as his witnesses. And he does all of that by giving his people grace to believe his word. So I'm, I'm going to be doing some repetition this morning, and it's already beginning. So there's the first hint about what this text is really wanting to do in our hearts, that we take God at his word. We're going to see that truth emphasized again and again in our text about a father. The pathos of this text is profound. He's desperate to see his dying son saved only to discover that there was really a more fearful death that Jesus wanted to save him from. So let's read this morning, beginning in verse 39, and I'm going to point out to you again what, what the Lord has been so kind to give us in terms of interpretive keys to understanding his word. So beginning in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. So again, here we go. There's that phrasing is the key to understanding the verses that are going to follow. It's really the momentum that takes us into the next set of verses. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Well, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Well, Lord, our prayer request is simple, informed by your word. Help us to believe your word. Help us to take you at your word. Nothing else could be more important this morning than your giving us grace for that. We love you. We ask for your glory. We ask for growth in godliness. We ask for growth in being witnesses for you, whether the sun is shining or the rain is falling. Oh God, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know how many of you have heard the phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Pretty good catchy phrase, isn't it? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not a new phrase. A book was written with that title. John MacArthur and many others, I just kind of did a Google search, and there's a lot of sermons out there that have that title. And typically what, what they're referring to is that our salvation is by Grace alone, through, here we go, come on, faith alone, in Christ alone. That's typically what that's talking about. We are saved by faith in, in Christ's work on the cross and not our work for him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we want to be careful not to believe in Jesus plus our good works. We want to be careful about that. But there's another Jesus plus that I think we need to be aware of. How many times do we turn to Jesus not to get Jesus, but to get an answer to prayer? Sort of a Jesus plus an answer to prayer will bring me the happiness and hope I need. When we, when we do that, if we're really honest, aren't we saying that I want my answer to prayer more than I want Jesus. I want my happiness more than I want Jesus. Jesus, if you'll answer this prayer, then, then I'll really believe in you. <laughs> and I'll serve you. If, you. if you'll just do this, what I most need, if you'll just do that. And perhaps we should be aware that we can also come to Jesus with a Jesus minus attitude too. 
That would be turning to Jesus, not to get Jesus, but to get him to not allow something into your life that you're afraid of, that you're, that you're worried about, that it would be too big to handle. God, please. How many of our prayers are, I mean, isn't it wild the things we can pray? So many times our prayers are, are God, please not. Please don't. We got to be careful about Jesus minus prayers too. And I think our text this morning is going to really serve us well. We're going to see the difference between people who turn to Jesus for his miracles versus a dad who turns to Jesus for his mercy. A people who look to Jesus for his signs versus a dad who looks to Jesus for his Savior. A people who welcome Jesus without worshiping him. A Jesus um, and a dad who worships Jesus because of Jesus' will being done in his life. A people who are fans of Jesus versus a dad who's a follower of Jesus. Main point this morning is this, genuine faith. So that, that phrasing, I wrestled with that. Because it almost sounds like the focus is on you and me. So genuine faith. Come on, we're West Texans. We've got to have genuine faith. That's what we do in West Texas. I use genuine faith because that's the faith that's given by God by his grace. It's genuine faith. Genuine faith believes God's word, trusts his will, and follows his way. Let's dig into it. It's possible to welcome Jesus without worshiping him. And that's going to be kind of the hallmark of verses 43 through 45. Verse 43, we'll pick up in the text. After two days, Jesus leaves Samaria to go to Galilee. For Jesus himself, in verse 44, this is where this, this text gets a little bit complicated. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Hometown means the fatherland, if you would, or the region that you're from, or in our vernacular, your hood, or with your homies. I know it's, when I say, I know, I'm just so dumb to even use that vernacular because it sounds so dumb coming from me. But anyway, just for the sake of, you know, all the different ages in the room. Uh, so he's, he's in his fatherland. It doesn't just mean a specific hometown like Nazareth, but a region like Galilee. So it's this entire region he's come to. But verse 45, so here we go, verse 43, verse 44, verse 45, that doesn't seem to fit with verse 44. Jesus says that he would not be honored in his hometown in verse 44, but then in verse 45 it says they welcomed him in his hometown. Okay, what's going on here? I hope, you know, one of the reasons we teach verse by verse in an expository way is because we're hoping that it's actually going to strengthen your Bible study. That it's going to actually help you in your reading scripture in the context that God intended it to be understood in. So let's keep going. Well, I want you to remember that John chapter 1 already told us that Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. So that shouldn't surprise us. It's true of the nation generally and true of where he grew up specifically. But let's go a little bit further because there's another interpretive key in verse 45. So verse 45, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Here we go. 
having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Oh, that's interesting. What was Jesus' assessment about the response of the people to him at the feast? So here's some encouragement. Guys, don't be in such a rush in reading your Bible that if the Bible itself points to another text in the Bible, you're going to really do your soul well to go look at it. Don't just keep reading. Don't just do. Don't just check off. Oh, I got. I'm. I'm going through my Bible in a year, and I, you know, so I'm just checking it off. And and meanwhile, you're missing the heartbeat. You're missing the context. You're with, you're maybe missing where God wants to stir your heart and bring joy, or bring peace, or bring conviction to your heart, or open your mind to understanding the text better. So what he's doing here is actually the text is pointing back to John chapter 2. We already studied that, but I put it in your notes. Look at this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Hmm, Okay, what's that mean? When they saw the signs he was doing. 24. But... Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In other words, if you recall that word entrust, in other words, when Jesus says he didn't entrust himself to them, it literally meant that Jesus did not believe in their belief. That's a great phrase, isn't it? Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows what saving faith is. We can't. Why do we think we can fool him? I was, I'm still such a knucklehead. I hope I'm a little less of a knucklehead than I was when I was first saved. When I was first saved, it was my my college years. And uh, I thought if I would just live a little more holy before my finals... Like the Lord doesn't see my heart... Like somehow I can go into stealth mode and my good behavior is hiding my bad heart. Oh my goodness. Jesus didn't believe in their belief. They didn't have genuine faith. And the people hadn't changed. So between chapter 2 and chapter 4, people hadn't changed. Just as they did in Jerusalem, they're doing in Galilee. They're happy to welcome him as a miracle worker, but not to honor him as their savior. They want him for his miracles, not for him being the Messiah. So these are those moments to stop and say, God, are are there any things in my heart where I tend to want your miracles more than I want you? And if there are, Lord, make them clear to me. I think I already know. <laughs> but could you make them clear to me? And, and give me the hope that I can overcome that kind of view of you and see you clearly and worship you more honorably. They're happy to be healed. They're happy to be entertained by him. I just, I get concerned. I get concerned when youth ministries are, are thinking they've got to keep high schoolers with entertainment. They're happy to be healed. They're happy to be entertained. They like the show. They like the signs. They like the miracles, just like every other unbeliever in the world. But they will not admit that their greatest need is to be saved from the judgment their sins deserve. 
They don't believe they need his mercy, just his miracles. They want to be his fans as long as he keeps winning. Cowboys fans, right? I mean, isn't that, I mean, we've heard of, you know, are you a fan or are you a follower? Tomorrow night's going to be very revealing, right? As, as the Cowboys play Tom Brady and those guys. They, 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 if you keep winning, Jesus, if you keep living up to our expectations of you, Jesus, we're fans. We're fans. But they're not interested in being his followers. So it's possible to welcome Jesus yet not worship him. It's possible to receive the blessings Jesus has to offer, yet reject him for who he is as Savior and Lord. That's just so possible. Point number two, verses 46 through 49. Precious ones, God uses crises. That's crisis plural. In case you want to, <laughs> Pastor really doesn't know how to spell. I had to look up. What was, what's the plural of Christ? I didn't know. Is it crisis? Is, 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 is. God uses crises to call us to seek him and not just his help. So I said, again, there's, there's a few people with crises in this room. I, I, I'm aware of people watching online today. We have people in our church family that are going through very difficult times. Hospitalization, kidney failure, or, or at least a family member of one of our one of our members. So, Patty, Betty, Jamie, Tom, we love you and we're praying for you. God uses crises to call us to seek him and not just seek his help. He often uses that to get him to seek him in ways we never would have done if the crisis had not occurred. Let me ask you this. Do you think the official, so here we go, let's, let's unpack a little bit more. The official, the language means that he was an official, meaning royalty. There was this royalty association with him. He wasn't royalty in himself, but from what the historians and theologians believe is that he was, he was an attendant to King Herod. This was the adulterer, Herod. This was Herod Antipas. This was the, the beheader of John the Baptist. Great guy, right? So this is, this is a man used to royalty. This is a man used to power. This is a man of money and means. Do you think that kind of man would seek out this Jewish prophet, this Jewish miracle worker, if he hadn't come to a place of feeling powerless and worthless, bankrupt. Listen, for all you moms and dads, when you're, I don't know what is more debilitating to a parent's heart than seeing your kids suffer. I, I don't, I just don't know what it is. I just don't know what it is. And don't, isn't that the place, probably of all the things we face, it's not my personal trials that most break me. It's that I can't do anything for my kids. So get the pathos of this. That, that's what's happening. This isn't just a good tale. This was a literal happening that took place with a real dad with a son who was really, really sick. Do you think he would have sought the son of God if his son, his biological son, 
was not so desperately sick. Do you remember that this verse is in the Bible? Psalm 119, verses 71 and 72. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119, so every verse is about the word of God. Word of God, word of God. Uses different phrases. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your word. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Don't cut that verse out of your Bible. Where this becomes clear is this difficult interaction between Jesus and a desperate dad. Verse 46, Jesus comes to Cana where he turned the water into wine. And now the tension of the text builds because verse 47, this official from Capernaum comes to seek Jesus. Verse 47, he asks him to come down to his town to heal his son because he was at the point of death. And, the, and this is so like the heart of a parent. The, the phrasing is, hey, Jesus, could you come heal my son? And, that, and okay, thanks. No, hope I didn't bother you. That's all I have to say. That's, parents, when your kids are sick, do you ever ask God once only? It's like, what is it, that goofy potato chip? You just can't have one. You know, you just can't pray once when my boys are sick. Even today, get ready, parents, when your kids are adults. Oh, my goodness, you're still a parent. I still, when I pray for my kids, I tend to be very repetitious. When Evan, Patty was sick, didn't you? I, I can't imagine Keith and Christy. Didn't you? as fellow brothers and sisters of Evan. Oh God, please heal Evan. 10 seconds later, oh God, please heal Evan. Please heal my son, please heal this person. It's a repetitious prayer that Jesus welcomes. He welcomes that. And that's what's happening here. Jesus isn't put off by this man's repetition. He's not put off by your repetition. What he's doing is, though, he's drawing you closer to his heart. And with every repetition, it's just Jesus saying, get a little closer. I'm drawing you closer. Clo the closer you are to me, the better it's going to be. That's what this is about. Please heal him. That was his only hope. He was desperate for someone who had the power. So get this. Isn't this something? Jesus, please heal him. Because I believe that you can say no to death. And death stops. And I believe you can say yes to life. And life begins. I believe that, Lord. No one else can do that. Imagine your emotions in that similar situation. This man left his son's deathbed to walk 20 miles. They guess, they're guesstimating 15 to 20 miles to see Jesus. Listen, I've had that, my, my, both my parents are gone. And I've, you know, certainly been at the bedside of people I love dearly as a pastor. Whenever you have somebody who may be near the end of their life, this man left to take a 20-mile hike to go see Jesus. I don't want to leave my loved one's bedside for 20 minutes. What about you? What was going on in this man's heart? Can you imagine that? I remember the situation was very similar with my, with my dad. It was in Phoenix before he moved out here. And, 
And this wasn't, this was, this, I just, I was afraid. He was at some points we thought could, he may die. And I was just so fearful to not be there. Even if he dies, praying for him, he is healing. But I also was so fearful to leave in case he died. That's the emotion of this. Verse 48, with all of this pathos, with all of this emotion, verse 48, here's another kind of a tough verse at first. Seems like somewhat a harsh response from Jesus. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Wow. Jesus, what, what's the deal? Well, the you is plural. That's going to help explain this. He's, he's, he's talking to you all, you people, all y'all is what he's saying. He was addressing the crowd and not just the man. We know, and, and just like that's happening today. So the word is going forth. It's one word that's going forth, but it's having multiple impacts in different hearts. Isn't God amazing? So cool how he touches people at their unique points of need and convicting and all of that. So he's doing a very similar thing here. With one sentence, he's accomplishing a lot. He's not intending to drive away that dad, but he is calling to account those who welcome him but don't worship him. So there's a lot going on here. You is plural. He's addressing the crowd and not just the man. So we know Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. So we know that his response cannot be an unloving response, particularly when we look at the cross. Listen, I don't know what you're going through right now and what you don't have answers for right now, but we have got to help each other remove from the equation, maybe God doesn't love me. No, no, we can help each other there. One thing we know for sure, God loves me. Why? Because while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me on the cross. That's why I know he loves me permanently and wonderfully and eternally. He loves me. I know that. So I may not understand what I'm going through, but what I most need is what I do know. Jesus loves me. This I know. For that cross tells me so. Oh, I need that. The Lord never rebukes us to hurt us, precious ones. He never rebukes us to hurt us. It's always for our good so that we might grow in faith and holiness. So I think there was some rebuke there. There was a harsh rebuke for the unbelieving Galileans. But there was probably a rebuke that was leading to a stronger faith for this dad. Look at this C.S. Lewis quote. Just a great quote. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. When I say hard words to people, so often, it, it's, so often it's in a kind of a heated moment, whether it's with Jan or whether it was raising my boys or could be sometimes a fellow church member or just somebody, anybody. Sometimes I say hard words, not, not uh, because I want you to be free in the Lord, but because you bother me. I say hard words to, to, not, to not being reconciliation and salvation and, and growth and godliness. When God says a hard word, it's to set you free. It's to love you. It's to make you whole. So that's what he's doing with this dad. Listen, 
It would not be loving for Jesus to meet this temporary need. That sounds, I'm sorry, listen, I'm a dad. So I even get choked up on that. But the, the, the health of his son is a temporary need. He has a bigger problem. It would not be loving for Jesus to meet this need if he was silent about a much bigger need the man had, a much bigger need than his son had. We tend to be a people who underestimate our true needs. This is a greater crisis going on than a child on a deathbed. It is living life and facing death without knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the bigger need. That's what Jesus has drawn him closer and closer to discover. If we draw back the lens of the camera so that we're not just looking at the immediate crisis, but we look to the far greater crisis that we need to acknowledge. I pray, oh, you know one of my prayers from this is, Lord, help me seek holiness as much as this dad sought healing for his son. Help me to seek the eternal joy of somebody being saved as much as I seek temporary blessings and comforts and happiness. I think there's supposed to be some implication here that it's possible for the heart of a Christian to have more passion for eternal needs than temporary needs without diminishing the importance of God touching us in the temporary needs that we have. Amen? That was a long sentence, but I I hope that made sense. Jesus does not just want to give a temporary answer as a substitute to an eternal need. What the official did not realize was that God was using this crisis in his family to expose the deeper need of his soul. That's the purpose of every crisis. We, all, we love to quote, for God, we, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and of those who are called according to his purposes. Did you know one of the good things is to expose our soul? To expose the need we have for change. The the need we have for repentance. The need we have for confession of sin and growth and in godliness. Listen, it's possible that if we received all the miracles we asked for, for our healing of our sicknesses and bailing us out of our finances and giving us children or getting married or getting the new job or getting the right college and the scholarship, you know, it's possible that if if God just inundated us with every blessing we asked for, I think this is what would happen. We would be increasingly blinded to our eternal problems. Because we're thinking, oh, this is life, oh, this is life, and this is life. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't answer a lot of the knuckle-headed, self-centered, comfort-seeking, self-sufficient prayers that I pray. Thank you. I don't think I've ever thanked the Lord for not answering my prayers but also thank you that you continue to hold your arms out to me, a knuckle-headed prayer to bring me closer to what the real issues are that you want to deal with in my life. Nine, the 10 leper story is just, I think, a picture of that. Nine of those lepers got their miracle. And what did they do? Got my miracle. Here's Jesus. I'm going to go spend that miracle on myself. That's what so many people do. Haven't you done that? 
God's healed some of your prayers for healing. God's healed. Did I say God's healed some of your prayers for healing? (laughs) Maybe we need that. God heal our prayers for healing. That maybe is a part of that. But hasn't God healed you sometimes and you are just so quick to just get back in the saddle? I want to be like the one. Don't you? I've got a sketch of this. I can't wait to hang it in my office. I've got a sketch of those nine lepers running away to spend the, the mercy of God on their, on their own selfish pursuits. And this one who is at his feet to say thank you and to worship him and to want to follow him. Oh, I want to be that one. Did you know that the text, I'm sorry, I'm getting off notes. Oh, that's dangerous. Did you know that the text says, that the, this leper's cries of praise and thanksgiving were louder than his cries for healing. Make us like that. Make us like that. Jesus is saying he wants to give this father and this family a greater belief than the one they had now. He wants to give them a belief that isn't focused on seeing miracles and blessings. He wants to give them a faith that's focused on Christ alone as as the, the, the only savior from their sin, the only satisfier of their soul, the only empowerer of service for him and purpose in life. So verse 49, the man presses on. He hears that rebuke, but look what it does. It actually brings him closer. He keeps, Lord, sir, please come down before my child dies. But there seems to be a different kind of belief taking shape in this man than in the people of Galilee that Jesus was rebuking. It seems he is believing that Jesus is his only hope. That Jesus has the power to say no death, yes life. That, that, that Jesus, and if he can do that. See, here we go, carried out. If Jesus can say no death, yes life, it must mean he's God. It must mean he's God. And he should be worshipped and followed. Listen, miracles do not compel genuine saving faith. We just demonstrated that with the lepers, didn't we? Miracles do not compel genuine saving faith. The word of God. The word of God compels genuine saving faith. We'll get to how God uses miracles. We already looked at it in the very first sermon of of the, the, the gospel of John. But we'll close with that this morning. Third point. When we believe God's word, we trust his will and follow his way. So again, miracles do not compel genuine saving faith. The word of God does. So here we go. Verse 50. Go. Your son will live. And the man believed Jesus' word and went back home. So again, let's just be real. Wait. Wait a minute. Thanks for that. But you want me to just leave here believing your word? That's it? Take you at your word? Wait, wait. You want me to walk by faith and not by sight? Wait, I don't need to throw you over my shoulder to bring you to my house to lay hands on my son? <laughs> Keith Betty, I don't know if you hear this. We had so many moments of, God, of watching God working in, in the progressive healing of Evan's life. And they're just, it's, listen, 
Keith's a dad, like, I, wouldn't you, if you were a dad, wouldn't you just say, listen, I'm from West Israel. <laughs> and here's how we do things in West Israel. We put people over our shoulder. And we bring them <laughs> to where we, we want them to go. Wait, Jesus, I don't need you to, to just come with me and physically lay hands on my son. The man said, come. But Jesus said, go. <laughs> I love that. The man said, come. But Jesus said, go. Your son lives. But So what is he doing? By doing this, Jesus is positioning him to believe him. And to believe in his word. And not be dependent on the sign. Not to look for the sign as his salvation. He believed his word. The man had to put aside his expectations of how Jesus would work. And, and just take him at his word. How many of us have this expectation? I, I, here's what I'm praying. <laughs> That's not the worst part of, of my, my knuckleheaded prayers. I have expectations about how I think God should answer it too. So my prayers may be a little bit amiss. I may be more after the prayer, answer to prayer than I'm after Jesus. And I also become God's counselor. I signed up for that. I saw there was an opening. And, and you know, so, and God, so here's, my suggestion is that you heal my child this way. Like the Samaritans, the man believed the word of Jesus. The Samaritans did not have a miracle in order to believe. They believed God's word. This dad didn't have a miracle in order to believe. He believed God's word. Well, yeah, but Billy, the son got healed. Dad doesn't know that. So let's, let, this is where I think the rubber really meets the road for a lot of us here. So the dad turns around. He has no visible evidence that his child was healed or will be healed. He has God's word. He waits he wait on the on Can you imagine following those 20 miles back to the house? Following God's will and God's way and God's word all the way home. He doesn't get a sign in the stars or the sun. There's not this 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 little little help me out miracle that Jesus gives him. Jesus gives him his word. Precious ones, guess what you're receiving today? His word. The same Jesus that said this to the dad is the same Jesus that's telling you today, you know what I'll do for your life if you'll trust me? I'll say no to death. And I'll say yes to life. And I'll put you close to my heart never to let you go. Oh, that's what we need. He, he, Jesus didn't have texting. This man didn't have texting. He didn't have FaceTime. He had Jesus and his word, and Jesus and his word was all he needed. J.C. Ryle, this is his comment on this passage. What Christ, this is in your notes, what Christ had said he is able to do, and what he has undertaken he will never fail to make good. The sinner who has really reposed his soul, I love that phrase, reposed his soul on the word of the Lord Jesus is safe for all eternity. In the things of this world, we say seeing is believing. But in things of the gospel, believing is as good as seeing.
And so this precious dad takes Christ's word, counts it enough, and he goes home. 20 miles of silence. One of our songs today talked about the silence. Boy, don't you fill in the silence. I do. I do. Silence bothers me. I just, I guess I'm not happy with it. And I fill up the silence with my thoughts and my opinions and how I think things should be done. But there's more voices than just my voice. Can you imagine the attack of Satan or the demonic realm that are trying to dissuade him from focusing on God's word? God's word's not enough. How do you know your son's going to live? What do you, why didn't you bring him with you? What kind of dad are you? What if my son's not healed? What if I don't have enough faith? Here is my hope and trust. I I just believe that's what was going back there. Here is my hope and trust. I have the word of the only one in the universe who can say no to death and yes to life. My hope is in him. I want my son to be healed, but my hope is in Jesus. I want my son to be healed. I'm praying for my son to be healed, but my hope is in Jesus. The sign, precious ones, that you have, I, you know, if there's, there's, oh, there's some, one of the things that get me so mad, I, I, I hate the prosperity gospel. I, I hate it. And I'm sorry, if, you, if you're coming out of that, I was there. I taught it. Forgive me. Because it, 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 convinces the believer that the greatest expression of faith is getting your healing. The greatest expression of faith is God sustaining your faith even if your prayer isn't answered. That is great faith. Josh mentioned it in Daniel. This is the way Habakkuk says it. It's in your notes. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's, in other words, I don't know if I'm going to get that prayer answered, but one thing I do know, I have grace and the footsteps to follow the Lord through any valley of the shadow of death because it's a pathway of righteousness. And I will fear no evil because he is with me. And this isn't just any shepherd. This is a risen shepherd who can never die and will never leave me. Charles Spurgeon Josh quoted him. Here's another quote that he says. The faith that saves is not just one single act done and ended on a certain day. It's an act continued and persevered in throughout the entire life of a man. Yes, we are saved at a point in time. But it is a living faith that is continually exercised. It is sustained by God's grace. But it is expressed by our effort towards him. That we continue to follow him, even if we're not getting the answers at the timing that we need to get them, or we think we do. We continue following him. You guys, that's a great miracle. 
We are just not a people like that. We are fans. And if the team quits winning, we just look for another team. We keep following. That's not because you're a spiritual superstar. That's because they're sustaining grace. Listen, when I pray for the sick, I pray for two things. I pray for healing. Yes, let's pray for your healing. But let's also remember that there is another beautiful miracle. And it's called sustaining grace. It's not just healing grace. It's sustaining grace. Yeah, but Billy, what if... What do you do when those roads back to your house? What do you do if you don't have the answer? What do you do? Well, you know what you do? We trust God's word even when we can't see God's work. That's what we do. Suffering's a gift because it reveals whether we're a people who just welcome Jesus as a miracle worker or to honor and trust Jesus as the savior from our sins. That's why suffering can be a gift because it really helps us better understand where we are in our hearts and in our growth. So verse 51, his servants see him on the road. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's just so many moments here where I just had to push the Bible back and I went, just how would I, I'd, I'd freak. I'd, I'd go, well, why are they coming? And I, I'm Eeyore. I'm just such an Eeyore. He's gone. They're coming to tell me he died. And they say, your son is recovering. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. He is? When did he get better? The seventh hour. That was one o'clock. And he goes, oh my goodness. That was exactly the time Jesus said he would live. And verse 53, and the father believed in his household. They did not just believe in a God who healed though. They believed in a savior who is the only way to heaven. He wasn't just a healer. He was the, the heaven opener. They believe that through faith in the Messiah and his death on the cross, God says no to eternal death and yes to eternal life. The revelation of Christ's divine power and his healing power over death is a sign that points away from itself to Christ as Savior and Lord. The demonstration of this miracle working power is meant to call us to entrust our whole life to him. Not just call on him when we're sick. We entrust our whole life to him. Are you worshiping the Lord in the conflicts with your spouse? Are you worshiping the Lord and trying to discipline your children? Are you worshiping the Lord and trying to give your, your supervisors excellence in work or getting grades that, are, that are, are, are good and you're wanting to learn and grow? Is it because you're worshiping the Lord? entrusting my heart to him. I'm entrusting my heart to him. That's the purpose of this passage. And didn't we see what the purpose of the signs were? At the very beginning, it's in your notes. Now, Jesus did, this is the end of the book, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that what? That you might believe Jesus is a miracle worker. You might believe Jesus is a healer because healing is what you most need. You might go to hell, but at least you'll have a few more good years here. They were written in this book so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life, the life you most need in his name. Isn't that the real test of faith? That there's an ongoing yieldedness to the Lord. 
not just when I need him to be involved in my crisis. I read something from Johnny Erickson Tata this week, and I wanted to share it with you. She, she was became paraplegic when she was just a teenager, if I remember. I can't remember the age, but somebody said this, and she had, she had been diagnosed. She was paraplegic. I don't know. I think she's in her 60s, about, about my age, somewhere in there. And uh, then she's been more recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Johnny, what teachings of Jesus have helped you understand suffering? She says, there is a portion of scripture in Matthew 18 that says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gauge it out. Here Jesus, the one who delighted to heal hands that could not work, to heal feet that could not walk, that delighted to give sight to eyes that could not see. Here he says, cut the hand off and pluck out the eye if they cause you to sin. She said, it's, it's here that I believe Jesus is underscoring his priorities in my life. Yes, the physical body counts, but it does not trump the need of the soul. It doesn't trump the health of the soul. There can be physical sufferings, and there are. And she says, you should do everything you possible. Go, keep praying, request prayer. Go to your elders and let them anoint you with oil. We're gonna, the elders are going to be here available to, to pray for the sick this morning with the anointing of elders. She says, when people ask me about healing, here's my response now. I'm less interested in the physical and more concerned about the healing of my heart. In addition to her paralysis, I mentioned that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And when they asked how they could pray for her, she said, pray that I get rid of my lazy attitude about God's word and prayer. Pray that I get rid of my brute pride. Pray that God would set me free from self-centeredness. Those are more important to me because Jesus thinks they're more important. That was powerful to me. The, the text closes. Eric, you want to bring the team up? The text closes with saying this was the second sign that he had performed in Cana. It, it, it's essentially, again, another interpretive key here. It's meant to say, hmm, yeah. So what happened in the first sign? Well, water turned to wine. But the, the, the point to salvation was Jesus is the, one who, the only one who can purify the soul. And he gives his life as the best life. And at that point, he started having disciples believe. These were outcast guys. These weren't the inner circle people. These weren't scribes or Pharisees. And then we walk through between chapter 2 and chapter 4. We get Barnabas, I mean uh, Barabbas, and his, his Jesus plus <laughs> theology, right? And he, he doesn't understand that he has to be born again. He's on the inside. And then Jesus goes to Samaria, who were the outsiders of the outsiders. And he goes to the outcast among the outcasts and saves a precious woman. It stirs a revival to where a whole town is saved. God's reaching the nations. And remember what they said. This is the, the Lord and Savior of the world. The nations are saying, he's come for us. And then it closes again with this official who is definitely on the outside. 
And I think one of the things the Lord is saying is there are people who grow up knowing stuff, grow up knowing their Bible, grow up in church, and they're not saved. They're seeking signs more than they're seeking the Savior. We need to be on guard about that in the Bible Belt, don't we? Don't we want to be careful in raising our kids? Listen, you can tell what means most to my heart as a dad with what I most want for my kids. And I'll be honest with you, there were so many things that I most wanted for my kids that stood above my desire for their salvation and their progressive sanctification and holiness. But as the Lord is growing me, that's, that's thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm growing to want Jesus more than anything for my kids. And you begin to position your life differently, don't you? You begin, it affects your calendar. It affects how you spend your money. It affects your involvement in next generation ministry. Because we're realizing we're not loving people if we're not focusing on the eternal need while we minister lovingly to their temporary needs. Could you stand with me this morning? Josh, you said it. Do we believe in healing? Listen, we, we're continuationist church, meaning that we believe all of the gifts of the Spirit are operative today, just as they were in this time. So we pray for the sick. And we can pray with, a, with just abandon. We can pray, not, not just relying on science and medicine and thank God for them, for, for the common grace that God gives for the healing of the body. What a kind God, what a kind God. But we also believe he still does miracles. And so we call out to him for those miracles. We anoint the, the sick with oil because the scripture says to. But we don't make our prayers for healing destination prayers. What I mean by that, you've heard of destination wedding, right? This <laughs> is... I've done a lot of weddings, and typically it's just been in local churches and things. Somebody came to me since we moved to, to Midland, and they said, Billy, will you do a destination wedding? I got, to, I got really excited. I was thinking maybe that's, I, I wonder if it's Riodoso. Uh, I, I, maybe it's Curve, maybe it's the hill country, you know? And so I'm going, well, y- yes, I'll do destination weddings. And they said, great. You, you, you'll go to Lubbock then? <laughs> And I said, Lubbock's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful. Lubbock is wonderful. But you know, we can do destination prayers, I think, sometimes that we're praying as though the, the, the healing I'm asking for is the ultimate thing. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's pray for healing as a part of believing that God is good and he's kind and he's powerful and we put our faith in him. But we also know, I even put the butt, I don't even like that there. And we also know that he's bigger than just physical healing. He's joy giving. He's contentment producing. He's witness provoking. Oh, he's way bigger than what we're praying for. So I'm going to invite you to come for for prayer for healing today and for all that God would want to do in your life and in our life as a church family. Amen. Sing our faith strong.